Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Euthanasia Pro and Con. My name is James M. Russell. Reverend Trevor Bench, together with fellow Christian Ian Wood, decided to establish a group to allow Christians to voice their support. And Christians Supporting Choice for Voluntary Euthanasia was born on, in February 2009. Christian Supporting Choice for Voluntary Euthanasia is based in Australia. Their website is www.christians4v.org.au. That's Christians, F-O-R-V-E dot O-R-G dot A-U. Ian is the national coordinator for the group. Ian, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. It's good to be with you, James. Can you tell me a little bit about what prompted you and Reverend Bench to establish your organization's Christian Supporting Choice for Voluntary Euthanasia back in 2009? Um, certainly, James. Um, my interest in voluntary euthanasia started back in 2004 when my beautiful, formerly uh, vibrant and articulate mother was dying essentially from starvation after nearly eight years with Alzheimer's. By this stage, she was totally unaware of her surroundings and doubly incontinent, what, how you would say, dead in mind, but just alive in body. And I thought there had to be a better way of dying, and there is actually. Then several years later, I read a letter from Cardinal Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict XVI, to some American bishops actually, uh, saying that killing in a war or capital punishment could be justified, but never an assisted death. And I said to Trevor, Reverend Trevor Bench at the uh, church I attended in Adelaide, South Australia, that I had a problem with that theology. He agreed that it was illogical and inconsistent. And then, so later, again, in 2009, Reverend Bench, based on his experiences as a hospital chaplain, and I co-founded Christian Supporting Choice for Voluntary Euthanasia to give, as you say, the majority of Christians who do support voluntary euthanasia and assisted dying, the voice to counter the vocal but powerful minority who oppose choice on religious grounds. Now, there was a final factor influencing my decision to become public. Um, up until this time, I'd just been writing my own letters to MPs and so on. And this was a photo of a woman, Chantelle Sabir, pleading with the French president for access to an assisted death. Now, Chantelle suffered from a very rare nasal cancer. She first lost her sense of smell and taste, and then as the tumour evolved, it ate into her jaws so that she couldn't eat, before attacking the eye socket, leaving her blind with one eye protruding, sort of hanging out of her head. Absolutely shocking. Chantelle described, quote, atrocious bouts of pain that last for up to four hours at a time, end quote. The reaction to morphine and its derivatives denied her normal pain relief. And this photo continues to motivate me to this day. Now, 
If I understand correctly, your group's principal activity is sending letters to members of state parliaments when a bill uh, relating to voluntary euthanasia or assisted dying is being debated, and generally making it known that many Christians support choice. Can you tell me a little bit about your successes? Well, if by success you mean getting legislation actually passed, we haven't achieved that yet. Um, but we do, we can, and we do ensure that members of parliament are better informed, and in particular show that the more strident conservative Christian opposition is not representative of Christians as a whole. Our group has certainly been cited by MPs speaking in support of assisted dying legislation. Can you tell my listeners a little bit about the laws concerning voluntary euthanasia and assisted dying in Australia? I certainly can. Um, the Northern Territory of Australia was actually the first jurisdiction in the world to legislate for assisted dying with its rights of the terminally ill bill back in 1996. Now, that's um, a year before the Oregon legislation. Um <clears throat> Four terminally ill people received assistance before this legislation was overturned by our federal government, and this was due to pressure by a powerful conservative Catholic lobby group. Uh, since then, despite numerous attempts in various states, there's been no law permitting either bond for euthanasia or assisted dying. There was one upper house vote in the state of South Australia that was lost 11 votes to nine, and also in the state of Tasmania, again lost by 11 votes to 9. It's interesting that in an action all too typical of the way those opposing compassionate choice operate, prior to this vote in the Tasmanian parliament, the speaker, who is uh, anti-assisted dying, absented, absented himself from the chair, leaving the pro-assisted dying speaker in the chair without a vote. But the speaker managed somehow to return to the chamber just in time to vote against the bill. I should probably clarify for listeners that um, in the context, in Australia anyway and elsewhere, voluntary euthanasia is when a competent, terminally or incurably ill person with unbearable suffering that cannot be alleviated requests direct assistance to die from a doctor. And assisted dying applies to a competent patient in a similar medical condition, that's terminally or incurably ill with unbearable suffering, who requests and then self-administers the fatal prescribed medication. Now, legislation worldwide is subject to quite similar restrictions and regulation, such as two independent doctors, no treatable depression, no coercion, repeated requests, etc. Um, now, within the law in Australia currently, um, in Australia and indeed many other countries, we do have what's known as palliative sedation, also known more accurately as what I would call terminal sedation, and sometimes referred to as slow euthanasia, in which a doctor decides as a last resort in palliative care to pace, place the patient into a coma until they starve or dehydrate to death. The doctor will often use the euphemism, quote, making the patient comfortable. You know the sort of thing I mean. 
Um, this is unregulated and unreported in Australia. Significantly, the Quebec legislation does regulate and require reporting for terminal sedation. And this is a recommendation of a recent Victorian inquiry into end-of-life choices. It's a curious thing that it's within the law as long as the doctor states the intention is to relieve suffering. If they gave the same medication and said, I've been asked to kill the patient so I'll help, um, then obviously that's against the law. Right. Um, but yeah, if the doc dying patient says, will request, rather than starve me to death in a coma with the trauma of watching my family watch this for this slow dying, please give me the next few days medication in a single dose, this is illegal. And as the Quebec inquiry pointed out, um, I'll quote, um, regarding the issues surrounding end-of-life practices, there seems to be a very fine line between continuous palliative sedation, refusal or cessation of treatment, and medical aid in dying. As you can comprehend, in all three cases, the end result is death. So as Christians, we ask why it should be morally acceptable that a slow death procedure should be within the law, but not the other alternative. And I do stress that a key word is voluntary. The uh, patient must request assistance and the doctor must state his conscience, or the doctor may state his conscience doesn't allow him or her to assist. Now, doctors participating in assisted dying in Belgium and so on frequently state that they view it as an act of love, having agreed with the patient that making make the, agreed with the patient making the request that only death will provide relief from their suffering. So you do get a problem arises when a person who opposed any form of assisted dying on the basis of their religious beliefs, seeks to impose their, those beliefs on other people, whether they're Christian or secular. This is not really acceptable. Uh, similarly, if a Catholic accepts the doctrine that suffering, uh, particularly at the end of life, as the Catholic doctrine, can be beneficial, they're welcome to suffer as much as they like, really, um, but they shouldn't try to impose that doctrine on others. Finally, from the medical point of view, and uh, uh, the, uh, the law, I'll speak more about Australian Dr Rodney Syme later, but I can state here that he is showing the law against assisting a suicide to be out of step with society standards from a medical point of view, provided that the assistance is given with a, uh, by a doctor to relieve suffering. He um, has given advice and assistance in Victoria and publicly challenged the system to prosecute him, but thus far the public prosecutor has refused to charge him with any offence. So, where do we go from there? Now, your organisation seeks to make the public aware through the media that there is strong public support amongst more enlightened and thinking Christians for our legal right to make end-of-life decisions. What challenges has your organization faced in getting your message out to the public? Um, well, James, the challenge is to get our voice heard above well-financed groups that oppose choice in dying. 
Um, one particular group in Australia is called the Australian Christian Lobby. It's interesting that the Australian Christian Lobby has been, um, shall we say, condemned by um, a number of uh, church groups, such as the uh, Uniting Church in Australia, as not being representative of um, the, the actual Christian position. Um, but that's uh, beside the point, I suppose. I've been successful in getting the occasional radio interview and um, having opinion pieces published in the press, and I was invited as a witness to the um, Victorian End-of-Life Choices Inquiry. I think it's quite interesting, to, as far as challenges go, to notice the, to note the, uh, the way that religious opposition has changed over my seven years of involvement. Originally, opposition was stressing the thou shalt not kill um, aspect, or more accurately translated, perhaps the thou shalt not murder. Um, now, this is relatively easy to rebut, as to murder is to kill with malice, and this is certainly not the case when a person is pleading for help to die. And if you look a bit further, in addition, the Old Testament is washed with bloodshed, um, from the drowning of Noah, of all but Noah and his family, to the genocide of the Midianites, as described in Numbers 37, 7 to 9, and 17 to 18. You can look that up if you wish later. Um, the trend now is to omit any reference to the religious background behind this opposition, and in, instead they concentrate on the uh, what's called the slippery slope argument. And the other argument often used is um, to allege concerns about vulnerable groups, the elderly and those with disabilities. Now, I, I think these are obviously very valid concerns and they need to be asked and they need to be addressed. But the fact is that all the evidence points to these concerns being unjustified and not supported by fact. You can generally say it's best described as scaremongering. Um, on the other hand, they don't talk about another major group that others consider um, truly vulnerable. Now, I'd like to quote uh, Dr. Ken Hillman here. He's the Professor of Intensive Care at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. And he says, Up to 70% of people now die in acute hospitals surrounded by well-meaning strangers inflicting all that medicine has to offer, often resulting in a painful, distressing and degrading end of life. And he goes on to say, clinicians themselves are often implicit in refusing to face the inevitability of dying and death. Dying and death. Uh, one pleasing aspect of getting our message out to the public has been the multitude of emails, phone calls and letters um, I've received praising this compassionate Christian approach. Now, I've had obviously a few uh, against, but uh, I suppose one of them that sticks in my mind was an unsigned letter with uh, attached to a couple of newspaper articles that I had printed, and this guy was predicting endless lakes of fire and perpetual screams of torment for me when I die. A true... Um, an interesting approach. Ian, what would you ask my listeners to do 
to further the pro-voluntary euthanasia and assisted dying movement in, in their particular country? Um, well, James, I think firstly, the, the most, the really important thing is to come knowledgeable about the facts. Um, as a minimum, I'd suggest listeners read the reports prepared by the Quebec government. Read the reports prepared by the Quebec Medical Association. There's the Canadian Expert Advisory Group report on assisted dying and a Royal Society of Canada report. And in Australia, we've got 444 pages of um, uh, the Victorian Government Cross-Party Committee report in the end-of-life choices and made 49 recommendations, one of which was for the legalisation of choice for assisted dying. Um, they can also check out a website called dyingforchoice.com, another Australian website. I think um, listeners need to be aware that um, people who request and are, are accepted for an assisted death frequently live longer than those who might do not request assistance. Now, it might seem a bit of a paradox, but that's the way it is. Um, it seems that... Um, being accepted for an assisted death is positive in its own right and it removes the fear of what this dying process might entail. Uh, many people do not actually go on to use this assistance. There's something like one-third of people in Oregon just have the medication there and if things don't get too bad, well, then they don't take it. It's like an insurance policy. Um, <clears throat> Another thing to do is to listen to or read the transcripts of a series of 17 um, Better Off Dead podcasts by an Australian investigative journalist, Andrew Denson. And he formulated these after a year of uh, research and interviews in Australia and overseas. To do, to do that, the easiest way is to just Google Andrew Denson, Better Off Dead. And you'll find that um, episode 16 in particular is particularly instructive on the tactics used by the opposition. Um, another point is to uh, learn how the opposition say you don't really need to give a member of parliament the facts, just create enough fear and doubt for the MP to vote against the change. Um, then armed with this knowledge, talk to your MPs who are generally woefully ill-informed on this issue. I think you need to bear in mind that found a very good statement by um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. As Christians, um, you need to bear in mind that uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, possibly one of the world's uh, most esteemed religious leaders, he was speaking in support of an assisted dying bill in the UK. And he said, I'll quote, I have been fortunate to spend my life working for the dignity for the living. Now I wish to apply my mind to the issue of dignity for the dying. I revere the sanctity of life, but not at any cost, end quote. And I think another good quote to bear in mind is one by um, uh, Californian Governor Brown, who's um, actually a committed Catholic and he did training as a Jesuit priest. And he stated when he was signing the uh, California End of Life Option Act, 
and I'll read this out to get it correct. Um, in the end, I was left to reflect on what I would want in the face of my own death. I do not know what I would do if I was dying in a prolonged and excruciating pain. I am certain, however, that it would be a comfort to be able to consider the options afforded by this bill, and I wouldn't deny that right to others. Ian, thank you so much for taking the time to be a guest on this podcast. We really appreciate it. Thank you for giving the opportunity to um, talk. I would like to just say one more thing. Sure. And, and that, that our group doesn't actually provide advice on um, assi uh, assisting uh, terminally or hopelessly ill person to die. Um, our, uh, the aim of our group is to change the law. So we need to be clear that we're not actually providing um, advice. But I, I can say that the actual existence of our group it's given many people the opportunity to um, tell the story of their loved one's painful and tragic demise, and that can often be therapeutic in the grief process. And um, in a number of cases, the family want to pass on this story of the suffering to their MP as part of the process of changing the law, and that's where our group can uh, help with that. Perfect. Thank you so much again, and you have a good day. Thank you, James. Good to talk with you. Good talking to you, Ian. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You have been listening to the podcast Euthanasia Pro and Con. Our guest today was Ian Wood, National Coordinator for Christians Supporting Choice for Voluntary Euthanasia. The weekly episodes of this podcast will alternate between the for and the against side of the issue. My purpose is to provide you our listener, with all the information necessary for you to form your own position on euthanasia and physician-assisted suicide, or possibly even change your previously held position. Please subscribe to this podcast. And for information about past and future episodes, go to our website, www.euthanasiaproandcon, all one word, no spaces, dot com. And did I mention that I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe? And please tell your friends about this podcast. Finally, Euthanasia Pro and Con is dedicated to my friend, Jacobo Louis Fuchs, and dedicated to his son, Carlos Fox. Thanks for listening, and hope to have you back next week. Peace. Peace.